Streets and Scholars, Alex Alonso and Sonny Boy. It's cracking on me. Are here to bring you guys another banger. And uh, we're going to get into it. But before we get into it, I want to just remind all the listeners that um, we are available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, iHeart, Google. And if you're tapping in with us on the Apple Podcast app, please leave us a rating and review. And at some point in the very near future, video clips of this episode of Me and Sonny will be available on YouTube as well. And let's get right into it. I'm with my boy. You may have seen him on the platform, the Street TV platform before, because I pulled up on him in Burbank. That had to be how many years ago, Sonny? About three, four? Yeah, about three or four years ago. Yeah. And uh, we did a hell of an interview there on the history of that neighborhood that you've been representing for years. But um, originally, you're not, you weren't born and raised in that area. You come from East L.A. or the East Valley? East L.A. and San Gabriel Valley. I moved around a lot. Yeah. And then how old were you when you got, in, got uh, into Burbank? We moved in when I was in fifth grade, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade. So I want to say about 10 or 11. And I remember you telling me that there was a lot of white boys in the area and you guys used to have to squabble up with the white, the white kids in Burbank. Because, uh, I mean, when you think of Burbank, the first thing I think about Burbank, uh, the Five Freeway, Ikea, uh, the downtown area. Uh, the movie studios are right there. If not in Burbank, very close to Burbank. In Burbank. They're in Burbank. But the last thing you're thinking about is that there's actually a barrio right there. Yeah. Um, it, 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 when I went there, when I first went to Burbank, um, in the school I went to, it was probably maybe 10, 15 kids that were Mexican. Or Salvi's at that time. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just... Uh, so there was very small amount of Latinos there when I moved there. Did you differentiate between the, the kids that were actually Mexican and the ones that were Latino but not Mexican? No, we didn't. It was just one. We were just all... Just all Latinos? Yeah. Okay. Y'all didn't... Everyone got along that yeah, was Latino. Everybody got along. Okay. That's interesting because <clears throat> in different sections of the city, the Salvadoran kids and the Mexican kids, they didn't really, you know, hang out together. Well, as I grown up, um, you know, there's guys that from my neighborhood that were Salvis, Salvadorians, and... We never knew, and nobody ever asked. Nobody really cared. As we got older, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm a Salvadorian. I'm like, really? I like it. I didn't know, but it didn't matter to me. It's still my homeboys. You know what I mean? There's... Were there any um, paisas that were going to school with you when you was um, over there in Burbank? Maybe one or two. Okay. Yeah, it was how, very few. How'd y'all treat the paisas? All the same. They all we all ran together because there were so few of us. Yeah. We would all play basketball together. And the Filipinos would come and play basketball with us, too. And the Filipinos actually yeah. hung out with the Latinos. Yeah. yeah, it would make sense to all be together because you, you, your numbers were short anyways. Right. So it would be ridiculous to start creating divisions within a small group of kids anyways. Correct. Yeah, we would, and we would really fight with the whites. It okay. was just now, a constant. All right. Uh, I wanted to get into – first thing I want to get into, man, um, I know we've talked about this before, but you've been in and out of the, you know, the hospital, going to the doctor. Uh, how is your health right now? I got, uh, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis uh, right after I paroled. So I was about 32. Uh, I paroled and, and one day uh, me and my, my homeboys had went somewhere and we ended up getting a fight. So when I came home, I laid down. I thought I was sore. Well, actually, that was the first day that the rheumatoid kicked in. So, I, you know, I started going through it for a while. But you didn't know what it I was. I didn't know what it was. So when about two years later, I finally decided to go to the doctor because it was like an everyday thing. 
So I went to the doctor. He told me I had rheumatoid. Okay. Well, what do I do? Take these pills and fine. It's up until recently, it was controllable. It was, you know, I would be in pain sometimes, but it wasn't nothing I really couldn't handle until this last time. This last time, it got so bad that I land up in the ER three times in a week. And I don't go to the ER for my rheumatoid. Um, then I started to th vomit and have other problems. And then I went to the doctor, the rheumatologist, and he was all oh, this. I wasn't eating. I started dropping a lot of weight really fast. <clears throat> then they got a little one under control. I went and got COVID. I lost more weight. I went back to the doctor. I was cool for two days. I got sick again. They took me back to the rheumatologist. Rheumatologist said they're going to start uh, chemo in, uh, on the 25th. Oh, so you're about, this, this is a, a new stage of treatment for you. Correct. So you've been on medication for the last how many years? 30. And it was controlling it? It was controlling. Now, can you explain to us what it is? My, my basic understanding is that your immune system is attacking healthy cells on accident. It's confusing healthy cells for bad cells. Correct. Okay. And is there anything else you could add to what it, what it is? Well, when it, it, it's kind of like, say you sprain your ankle or you cut your leg, the, the, the white cells go to that section to heal it. Well, it, what it's doing is hitting the, the, it's saying that there's something wrong or there's nothing wrong with it. But what ended up happening is your eyes swell up. Uh, it, it, it attacks all your vital organs now. Uh, so it, it's not just attacking just the outside or the bones. And you see those older people with their bones grow all crooked. Well, this is what that is, but at the same time, it does attack the vital organs. So it's it's technically, it's in the category of autoimmune disease? Autoimmune disease, exactly. Okay. So uh, for the most part, medication can control it, but I guess it's flaring up right now for whatever reason? Yeah, it's just, it, they can slow it down. So they've slowed it down all these years. Now they it's gotten so bad that, you know, it's just, it's just excelled towards the end where the medication is not working anymore. So the chemo is supposed to slow it down or stop it. So that's what they're aiming for. Well, I don't know how you're feeling about it, but I know if I was going into the hospital for something like that, I think I'd be extremely nervous. How do you handle it? How do you approach this? You know, I, I kind of look at I had a light term. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. I've been, I've been run through the ringer multiple times. I ain't dead yet. But I kind of figure I got an angel on my shoulder kind of thing. So the only thing that bugs me is my family. I don't want my kids and my wife to go to pain. And I've caused them enough pain in my life that I don't want to do it no more. So I'm going to give it my own. I'm going to do my best to, to stay healthy as possible and uh, go to the doctors, get all my treatments, do what I have to do because... Uh, to me, it doesn't really matter. I just figure I'm on, I'm on borrowed time anyways, but at least in my head, and I've always been like that. It's just, uh, I just don't want my family to have to go through it. Are you a religious person, prayers, spiritual? Uh, I am a religious person. I do believe in God. I do talk to him. I do pray. 
I'm, I'm not the type of person that really goes to church too often. I bet your family, uh, your parents. Oh no, actually, your, your parents was in the streets <laughs> since, <laughs> since the beginning, right? Right. Yeah, you didn't come from like those parents that uh, probably went to Catholic church every day, every no. week. No, your parents were out there doing their thing. So you didn't really grow up around a, a, a faith-based family. No, I, I used to go with my grandmother and my grandfather, and uh, you know, we go there for granted. They would take us to church. And I already know the story about his parents. Uh, we're not going to get into that right now. But for those that are listening that want to know that story, we talked about that in uh, one of the previous interviews you did where yes. you talked about how your parents were in and out of the joint. So um, prayers up for Sonny Boy. Prayers up for Mr. Acosta. Um, Thank how, you. What, how, what's the, um, the turnaround time after you go into the get this treatment? How much time are you going to need to rest and recoup? Uh, they said it's going to be once a month. But it's supposed to be an extended a period of time that I'm getting uh, the infusion. And they said it would take between two and three days to recover. All right, man. Well, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to I'm pray, pray for you. I'm going to have my wife pray as well. And this is the type of thing that even, even your worst enemies don't want to see. You know, we don't want to even see our enemies. I don't have any enemies, but we don't even want to see our enemies go through anything that's, you know, that could be problematic, not just to you, but your family. You got loved ones. You got kids. Yeah. And uh, even people who don't like you, I'm sure they're going to be, you know, rooting for you for a speedy recovery. I appreciate that. And um, also, uh, let's get into, uh, I think the first thing I want to get into is that uh, you started uh, your own channel called The Streets Ain't Loyal. I was tapping in with you. You had a bunch of videos up there. Uh, I decided to refresh myself on your whole catalog of videos. And when I tapped in last night, I only saw three. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the channel itself. Um, what inspired you to start the Street Chain Loyal channel? So uh, I started to see a lot of, I, I watched a lot of YouTube on my downtime, and I started to see uh, people talk about things, and I'm kind of like, they, they talk about prison or the life, and they put something out, and it's just like, turns me off. It's like, Come on, why are you lying about that? Like something so minute, something, and I, I feel that if things are going to change, the truth has to come out. You can't be filling them up with lies. You want to be as truthful as possible because that's the only way things are going to get changed in, in our world, in our, in our lives. So I just, I figure I would be as honest as possible, whether people like it, what I said or didn't. The only thing I stay away from is politics. The prison politics. Yes, prison politics. Have you noticed that there is conversations on prison politics on YouTube, but most of the guys that are doing it are either, I guess, I don't know, dropouts. And no disrespect to those guys. I know the word dropout is considered a disrespect, but it is what it is, right? Some of these guys that were on PC yards and the dropouts, they're on YouTube talking about politics. Yeah, um, but as in, I'm not going to say names. There's channels out there that, that I don't know if they're dropouts. I don't know what they are. I know that they talk about things they shouldn't talk about on, on the air. So that's, they, they might not say it's, oh, this is prison politics, but the stuff they're saying is prison politics. So it's just, it's just good sense just not to talk about it at all. Yeah. I, I think a couple of people um, have been hurt and killed in the last year or two for being on YouTube saying the wrong things on both the brown and black side. Correct. Um, and I can say this, uh, I did an interview with um, the brother from Lowell. Um, 
and I feel real bad about it. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm not the only person who did an interview with, but I'm the first one he did an interview with. Then he went on to another platform. Then he went on to another platform. And people inside prison were, were disappointed. I thought he did a decent interview. He spoke about stuff that was 30 years old, Sonny. 30 years old. But for those who don't know, bro got hit. He got hit uh, in late 2002 10 times and survived it. And uh, I moved those videos off my my. Wasn't it 22? It was October. Not 2020. Not 2002. Oh, I said 2002. My bad. I I believe it was October 2022. Yeah. And I kind of thought he was okay because he was talking about something from 93. What's that? 30 30 years ago. Am I right? 30 years ago? Yeah. But it didn't matter. He still got hit. And um, it just let me know that everybody's watching (laughs) this YouTube stuff. Even in prison, they're watching it. They're on their cell phones. So you're right. There's a a lot of things that shouldn't be said. And even when you think it's okay what he said because it wasn't really disrespectful, he's just telling a story. It's it was still too much. Yeah, it's. um, I don't know anything personal about this guy. I don't know any. You know, I mean, I've never met him. Never dealt with him. I just know that people get upset if you talk about their business, and that's just with anybody. You know, if somebody's talking about my neighborhood or something, I'm gonna get offended. No matter how long ago it is, if somebody's talking about my neighborhood and I don't like what they're saying, I'm going to get offended. So I'm sure that's how those other people feel. Yeah. Um, so so what needs to be done here? Because there, there should be some sort of protocol. Just like if you're on a prison yard, there's rules, there's reglas, there's protocol. We should have that for YouTube. Well, I've always been saying that we need to have levels, level one, level two, level three, and the shoe program and and YouTube for the way some of these guys act. And there's, there there are, don't get me wrong, there are some good channels um, that press positivity and and they're not talking about that kind of stuff. It's just the ones that are talking about that kind of stuff. I don't think they realize sometimes they think because they went to prison, they know everything. That's not true. And a lot of times they talk about things they just shouldn't mention, you know, because it's going to get somebody hurt one of these days. If it didn't do it now, it might do it later. Yeah, I remember I did an interview of a former Cardinal named Kilroy. Uh, rest in peace. He just passed a couple of years ago from COVID. And off camera, me and Kilroy can talk about everything. Everything you want to know about history, the penitentiary, going back to the night. I think the first time he went to prison was in the 50s. Uh, yeah, in late fifties, he went to prison. Uh, then we did an interview, and he's a he was a changed man. He's a Christian, you know. He even had his Bible with him when, when we would meet up. And I did an interview where we talked a little bit about the prison stuff, a little bit about his history, but he also wanted to talk about his faith. So I let him talk about his faith, and 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 I put it in the interview, and I I let it I left it uncut. But a lot of people were like, man, why didn't you t- ask him more about this? Ask him more about that. Ask him more about th- these other things. And people just don't understand. There's only so much that we're going to put on camera. There's only so much we're going to talk about. And this is a man that was, at the time, 75 years old. Mm-hmm. Even as a 75-year-old man, he understood, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into certain things. I'm not going to talk about certain things. And I get it. But a, a lot of people that are watching and that are, are listening – they want more. 
Yeah, it's natural because they don't know anything about it. But if you know, if you've been to the system and been locked down long enough, you understand, mind your business. Don't get into somebody else's business. And that's a good practice to get into. You know, people sit there like, say, uh, me and you were talking and we're talking about this individual. And I'm not saying that anybody particular, it's just some individual, right? And we're talking about it and somebody overhears it. And I might be the only one saying something bad about him. You're just sitting there listening like, oh, man, I got to listen to this dude. Dude, you're just as guilty for saying something that, as if you said it just by being in that presence. And you learn that in jail where it's like, like dude, you just don't talk about things, period. You just mind your business, worry about your family and your family visits and your food. That's it. Don't worry about nothing else that's happening in the yard unless you want to participate. Yeah, man. It, it's it, But, you know, because of this YouTube your YouTube success is based on how many views you get, how many subscribers you have, how how big your reach is. And people are realizing that if I push the envelope and start talking more about this, and even though you're not supposed to talk about this, you're going to get more views. Right. So there's like this human nature element that is causing content creators to go against the grain. They may be doing it subconsciously. Maybe they're doing it deliberately. Uh, I know some of these guys like Savage Studio. I know Savage Studios didn't want to get killed. Yeah. But he ended up killed because he pushed the envelope too far. So where do you think this is all going in like 2024, 2025? I don't know. I, I, I see it's going to come to a abrupt end sooner or later. Somebody's going to get touched that probably shouldn't or, or doesn't realize it. Me, myself, my channel's only at 5,500. 5, now, I can blow it up, and I know how to blow it up. <laughs> yeah. I won't do it because I'm not going to sell out my integrity to do that. You know what I mean? It would be nice to get a big, fat check every month, but I got family I got to worry about. I got things I got to worry about. I can't. I can't. I can walk anywhere, and I don't have a problem with nobody because I don't talk about things. There are individuals out there that don't like when people talk about things. You know, unless you're in the street, they're like, hey, you talking about this? No. They don't do that with me because I keep my mouth shut. I just have nothing to do with it. I'll stay with a little bit of numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did you learn a lot of this while you was in prison? Because I'm sure there's so many rules and regulations in prison that you would not ever get just just being on the streets alone. Well, no, I learned a lot on the streets because of family members and, and things I grew up around. I thought I knew everything when I hit the system. And then when I learned, hit the system, I know there's a whole different set of rules. So I kind of like, I'm that type of person that if I get busted, I, I go in there, I shut my mouth, tell everybody where I'm from. Hey, this is where I'm from. Boop, boop, boop. All right, that's it. I listen. I keep my mouth shut, stay in my mind, my, my own business. What happens when you have a, a celly? Let's say you're in a, a two-man cell in some prison yard and you have a celly that you just can't stand. Oh, you tell them to leave or you leave. Somebody gonna leave. Somebody gotta leave. <laughs> Somebody gonna get out of there. I had, a, I've had a couple solid that I didn't get along with, and I boop bopped them. We got, we got busy, and the winter last. That was it. And what does the CDC do at that point? They just find another uh, celly. Yeah, but they, you, you go in there and make a, a, a sow request to move, and you find like a sow, and hey, I want to move it with you, and then a lot of times the homies will just be like, hey. To swap with so and so, you get along with him good, anyways. What's the worst uh, cell roommate you ever had or situation? Ah, uh, you might not like this. If I'm, I'll tell it, but <laughs> you might not like this. 
Uh, we were, it was some dude in, uh, I'm just going to say the city of Paramount. Uh, we were, we were in a drafting class and he moved in with me and a youngster. And, uh, one day we were sitting there. It was, uh, me, there was only like five or six of us in the class at the time, a drafting class. And a black cat opened some cookies and he offered me some. I told him, no, thank you. And you you, you turned it down because he was down. black, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. I turned it down going black, so I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. He hands homeboy, homeboy takes a piece and eats it. I just look at him. Okay. So we go back to the cell. I told him, hey, what are you doing? And he goes, well, what are you talking about? And I go, you know you ate from the black dude. And he goes, oh, nobody ever told me nothing. I go, dude, you're from Paramount. <laughs> you're from L.A. County. You're going to tell me you didn't ever heard that? And he goes, oh, well, no, no, dude, get your crap. Go. You got to get out. So I made him move out. So it's possible if he was about 18 years old, it's possible that he might not have understood that rule. Not if he went through L.A. County. Because, look, Paramount's not too far from Compton's, not too far from Linwood, and the blacks and the browns are pretty thick. And he, prob right. he was probably listening to rap music, you know. No, no, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But if he went to L.A. County, that's one of the first things they tell you when you walk in. You don't eat with blacks. Period. Now that's that's one rule. That's one regla that uh, I disagree with. I understand it exists, but uh, that's one rule that if I was ever in the penitentiary and I probably get killed, but I probably say, <laughs> I would say this is one of the stupidest rules y'all got. Let's th this. I'm not abiding by this rule, and of course I probably get hit. <laughs> but see, and let's be honest. Every rule that we have is rasa. The blacks have the same rule. Yeah, but I think that the but the, we enforce it more. Yeah. Than the blacks. The blacks would probably have a less of a complaint of sharing food with a brown. But they will. There are some blacks that will enforce it and but say, hey, you're not supposed to be eating with it. They probably enforce it because they know that Rasa's enforcing it that right. hard. Right. So, and then the reason being is because the less interaction we have with a different race, the less problems it's going to cause. I, I get it. I get it. But um, some of those rules and politics spill into the streets and now you grew up with a black dude or grew up with a brown kid when you was in elementary and now when you're in junior high high school you're told oh you can't hang out with that dude anymore and you're like why because that's just what it is so those rules kind of trickle into the streets and create that same division but we got at the same time that i i didn't grow up with a black my dad's best friend was from comp he was from florence and he lived in Compton. He was one of the first families that lived in Compton. We went over there to play with all our cousins, about 15 of us. And uh, these three black teenagers took our volleyball. And like a little ass, I went over there and told him, give my ma. And I'm thinking, I got 15, 16 cousins behind me. So I'm not scared. You know, man, I'm talking crap. I called them the N-word. I'm going to be honest. I called them the N-word. Give me my ball, you in. Damn, sonny. And, uh. They boobopped the shit out of me. I looked around to see where my cousins were. They were all gone. They were all gone. So it caught a big old melee. And, the, you know, my dad came out. My uncle, everybody started coming out. They were all arguing. And we left. I got my ass kicked for saying the word. But my dad, he's like, you you put everybody in danger because of your mouth. Where, where do you think you learned that from? I, I honestly don't remember. I honestly do not your, remember. Your dad, I was a little kid. Your dad said you shouldn't have did that. Huh? Right. 
So you didn't learn that from your dad? No, I didn't. I might have because when you're at home, there's a whole different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but see, he's not gonna take a chance on our family getting in trouble because of something he said. So he would keep it. Hey, there's some crazy stuff that we say in our family behind closed doors. Right. That, that would let's be, be honest. Right? Yeah, it's real. So, I mean. <laughs> so when I hit the county, I think the first time I hit the county, a brother stepped to me, and we were outnumbered by like. 30, 40 to maybe three. And I rushed him. I got boobopped again. Okay. He disrespected me. I did what I had to do. But as I went into county for this big case, they were throwing me in the cells with nothing but blacks because I was the biggest Mexican. So when I got boobopped or I got jumped, it was always like, okay, just. A little more hate, a little bit more hate, a little more hate. Did you start to build a resentment towards blacks then? Yeah, they tried to stab me in my sleep, in my bed, in my bunk, in the county. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I did. It wasn't until I got out and I started to meet different people. And uh, there was this guy, Vic. He's a, he's a black guy out of uh, South Carolina or Alabama or something. And uh, I got to talk to him. We BSed and, you know, it was cool. And I started to understand that, you know, I got to cut all that jail crap loose. I don't really eat with people. I won't really sit there and take food from anybody. And that's just me. I didn't smoke cigarettes with nobody. I didn't drink with any after anybody. I do it for my family, but that's it. But that's something I've been, you know what I mean? And it wasn't personal. But at the same time, if I'm locked up, I'm going to follow rules. That's just who I am. I'm just going to follow rules because I don't want, you know, I mean, it's it's better to follow rules than to break them and then get in the caught up over some crap. You know what I mean? Hey, do you remember uh, what area in Compton you was when um, you got into the altercation with the black guy? No, I was young. Okay, you know, I, was, <laughs> I don't remember nothing. I was going to try to figure out what hood you was in. When that <laughs> they beat that crap out of me, though. <laughs> okay. Um, so what's the first prison that you remember uh, going to after you hit reception? Corcoran. I was on a B yard, which was a, a four, a soft four, I guess. Was it a 270 or a 180? 270. 270. They, no, no, they didn't have 270s yet. They didn't have 180, they didn't have 270s. I hit, I hit the joint in 93. Okay. So 93 was everybody came to the yard, everything. I was close custody because of my points and my um, crime. And what was uh, what was the, your experience there like when you first got there? Were you nervous? Were, how, and how much time did you spend in the county before they shipped you up there? Almost two years in L.A. County. Okay, so you was ready to get out of there then? Oh, I was ready. I was ready. So when I hit the joint, uh, the first thing is I ran across somebody I knew from the county. And he seen me, and I was, I was standing by the basketball courts. He seen me, and he's like, hey, uh, all the homies are right here. But the first thing I noticed is he didn't act the way he was in the county. He was a whole different person. I guess he had been down in the joint for a little bit. And, and the people from the county and the joint, they act different. Even even myself. Was he more tougher or less tougher? More, uh, uh, more like a cholo, more gang members. So he was more gangster on the yard. At yeah, he was more gangster in the yard than he was. And what do you think count. that was all about? I don't know. I think we all do that. It's just, it's just uh, we get around a certain environment. It changes. 
and people start talking different, acting different, presenting themselves different. And I, 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 I'm guilty of the same thing. But it's more kickback once you get to Corcoran after spending two years in the L.A. County jail. Yeah, but just that persona you want everybody to know, hey, yeah, I'm a gangster, whatever. But, like, I, I didn't realize that I was different until my daughter pointed out one day. Because I went to, we went somewhere, I think it was uh, Universal. And uh, I seen some dude I was busting the joint. So I started talking to him. And my daughter goes, why did you act like that, Dad? And what are you talking about? She goes, you acted different. And she started, and she pointed it out to me. And I was like, wow, I do. I don't, I don't know why I did it. I just kind of like fell back into it, talking like I did when I was in prison. So when you got to Corcoran, was it a trip to see people that you either knew on the streets that were friends or even from your own vodka just to see people you know now on the prison yard it was a trip but it wasn't guys like from my neighborhood because my neighborhood was really extremely small at the time and there was only uh i was the only one in the joint at the time so i would see enemy guys uh, enemies and I would be like, man, I used to chase that fool around. And now all of a sudden he's just, Mr. Gangster, you know, and I'm not saying everybody like that, just some. And I was like, dude, I can't believe this dude. <laughs> he's acting like this, like, you know what I mean? So it, it was just a trip that I seen some people I knew weren't really about their life, but they acted a certain way. So when you was um, in Burbank, a lot of your rivals were from North Hollywood? North Hollywood, Sun Valley, uh, all around Burbank, all around. Sun Valley, that's Violent Boys? Von, Violent Boys was in Sun Valley, and then, you yeah, know. something called the Diablos over there? Yeah, Diablos too. Okay. So you, you're bumping into these cats on the prison yard? Yeah, there was somebody from Violent there. And then they tell you that even though this is your enemy on the streets, we're all. We got to get along. Yeah, we got to get along. Yeah. I mean, it must be some really crazy situations where this person killed his his best friend th through rivalry, but now you're shoulder to shoulder with a guy that knocked off your best friend or your brother or your cousin, and there's really nothing you could do about it, right? Yeah, You well, you can. You can do something. It's just it's going to cost you your career. <laughs> it's going to cost you your life. I ran across the guy that paralyzed my best friend. Wow. And I went after him. They stopped me, thankfully, but I was to the point where I don't care. You know what I mean? Hey, that that whole rule proves that all this street conflict is bullshit. Correct. I mean, if if you're forced to be shoulder to shoulder with the guy you hate the most on the streets, then all this street stuff is bullshit. Yeah, but now we all got a common enemy. North Daniels, blacks, others, whites, whatever. And then you guys take a bad rap, and um, I don't know if anyone's ever been able to explain this very clearly, but you guys side with the Aryan Brotherhoods, the White Boys, the Peckerwoods, the Woods, uh, the Nazi Lowriders. These are considered like the most hateful groups yeah. in America, but you guys are allied with them. I wouldn't say we're allied with them. I wouldn't say we are cool with them to a certain extent. They are never going to affect anything a Rasa does. They can't go and check a Rasa. They can't. If they even try to check a Rasa, it's on and cracking. They, there's just, they're there. And we give them the respect. But it's not, it's not really an ally. 
Because when we jump off, they never jump off. In the county, it might be a little different because they're so short that some of the whites will jump with us just to make sure that we're going to take care of him too. But in the joint, no. Hey, have you ever heard this guy on YouTube, this white guy named Wes Watson? He, he tells the craziest prison stories, but he, he makes it seem like he's in like every single riot <laughs> that's ever taken place. Uh, and I, I haven't really been able to hear from people that have been in prison and know this guy or seen this guy, but it just seems unlikely. Am, am I right or wrong? No, you're right. There's uh, prison is violent. Let's get that out the way. And there's time where there's what they call guerra. There, there's war. You know, we might be getting off with the blacks, the whites, the others, whatever, okay? And it goes back and forth, okay? And then we're going lockdown. Something happens and we're going lockdown. Then they lock us down for like a week. Let's see if they can get along. Put them out there again, send out a couple on each side. It cracks, send them back. Lockdown again for another month. Then they do it again. They open it up just little by little to see if it happens. Okay. Sometimes we'll all decide, okay, we're gonna we're gonna behave to enough to get stored and then just kick it off again. But it's not always like that. There's months and days and weeks and that nothing even happens. No, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets touched, nothing, nothing happens. There might be a fight here or there, but nothing big. Because uh Dude, imagine living in that kind of environment where you're constantly battling with somebody. No, we're always getting ready for it, but it doesn't always happen. Usually it's it's boring as hell in prison. Did you uh, uh, um, have a, like an exercise program? I've seen some footage where La Raza be out there with their burpees and, and you know, there would be three, four, five of them and they're all doing it in unison. Were you one of those guys that worked out? Yes, I had to work out. It was... Uh, I wouldn't say it was mandatory in the yard, but it was frowned upon if you did it. But there are some guys that just don't want to work out, right? Yeah, there are people that it's just lazy people. But what's yeah? Well, I, I was gonna ask, what's wrong with just going out there, doing your sets of burpees, just showing everybody you with the program, and then you know, kick back. Some people just don't want to do it. Some people don't want to take showers. There, I've seen people get jumped and dumped in a garbage can full of water, and given a bath because they just don't want to take baths. What is it? Oh, they don't want to be around other men in the shower or something? I don't know what it is. I, I just don't. There's just people that do stupid stuff in there and they push the limit. There's people that come from like Chicago. Oh, I'm not going to program. I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, you are. You're going to do what we tell you to do. And if you don't, we got something for you. Yeah, they say that California prisons is probably the most strict, the most rules, just the most. Uh, if you think you're going to go against it, going against the grain in a California prison is probably the worst decision you can make. Yeah. And then I actually had a problem with the guy from the KKK over Jerry Springer. We're watching Jerry Springer on TV and this guy was, it was about a KKK and he started mouthing off. And I was like, dude, the only reason you're alive is because of Mexicans. Shut your mouth. And he didn't listen. So he got boobop. <laughs> got to go. Okay. All right, so um, you come from a neighborhood that probably has one of the first gang injunctions ever imposed. Uh, 1992, this was the beginning of the gang injunction. Uh, 
today they, they the city of LA actually stopped using them. I think in 2018 or 2019 they they said they, they became obsolete. Okay. But in the uh, in the early 90s they were new. Do you know why your neighborhood was picked for a gang injunction back in 92? Uh, just prior to 92, there was a, a it started to be a, a lot of drive-by shootings just prior to the the injunction, a couple of years. There started to be a lot of drive-by shootings, and that doesn't happen in Burbank. And one of the shootings, an off-duty officer got hit. They hit. So he wasn't in front of the Burbank area. He just happened to be in the area when they drive by. So it kind of like just kicked it off, started to really piss them off where they couldn't control us. Uh, there was even times like they would block us off on the street. And then if you were a gang member, you weren't allowed off the street. <laughs> they, you know, you're going to lock you in there. Uh, this, they were doing everything to, to stop us and they just couldn't do nothing. So, uh, eventually they came out with that gang injury. I was shocked cause I was in the County when he came out with it. I was already in the County finding my case. So you was in custody when they decided to impose the injunction against Elmwood. Yes. And did you ever get served? Yes. I was one of, I think five people that got served. Did they do their injunction, uh, the city of Burbank versus, uh, B-E-R, or did they actually list the names of gang members, or did they put John Doe's? How did they identify y'all in this document? By our names. If you look on a gang injunction in the, in the internet, I don't know if it's because it's my last name is Acosta, which was A. Uh, I am the first one that they, they named as, as a defendant, Leonard Acosta versus the city of Burbank gang injunction. Well, it's the city of Burbank first, you. Yeah. <laughs> and then did they list other names too? They listed, I believe it was 88 names. And so whatever came about it. So so you're in custody already. Do they they serve you in jail? They came and served me in jail. Uh, they said I had the option to go to court. When I tried to go to court, I couldn't go. They wouldn't let me go. County, so... They wouldn't. Oh, because it was a civil case. I get. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so the uh, injunction it gets approved by the judge, and it, it become it goes into effect. Correct. But um, what does what actually happens? You're in custody, but do you find, do you hear what's going on on the streets? Yeah, I heard that there was a couple homies that got busted for being on the block, and they were taken in, and then they would tell them they're on probation. They would take them before a criminal. Put them on probation, and if they get caught again, they did a year. I don't remember anybody that I know from my neighborhood that did a year, but I know that they were they were pressing hard. They put a little, uh, from what I heard, they put a, a little trailer with police at the end of the block, so that it's a dead end. They knew who was going in and out, so all they did was just move everybody to a different section of the city. Okay, and then and then the following year, the city of L.A. does a big injunction against Blythe Street. Uh, did you did, did any of those guys know about the injunction against your neighborhood? And was there any communication between the two neighborhoods about this injunction? Not that I know of. There was, as far as I know, it was uh, 
Blythe was getting a lot of publicity, a lot of newspapers, TVs, everybody talking about it. Very little people were talking about our injunction. But I think because our injunction, I don't think anybody really understood what it was. Yeah, it was brand, it, it was very new at that time. Yeah, I don't think anybody really understood what it was. Well, do, do me a favor. Explain how you understand an injunction. I understand an injunction is a civil abatement. I understand that um, in order for you to violate that civil abatement, then they would take you to a criminal and put you on probation, and then they could do whatever they want to you. What I didn't understand is how they can list somebody that's never been arrested or never, somebody's never even been FI'd. But just because Alex Alonso was in the car with me when I got stopped, somebody, a known gang member, all of a sudden you're on a gang injunction. Uh, it, it, it was to the point that these guys could not walk, sit, or drive, even in their own neighborhood. You know what I mean? Where they lived, there was homies that were jumping out of the back windows and jump on the fence so they wouldn't get caught on the, on the street. So um, you can't be with somebody else. You can't have another homie across the street and you on this side of the street, and they would get you that you're together. That was the no association clause. That's what made my neighborhood different than any other injunction that was out prior, because I think there was one or two injunctions out prior. One was an apartment building, the other one was... Uh, Gangster Crips or something. I think the uh, the Playboy Gangsters. Okay. And theirs was, um, they they didn't have a no association clause. They could still be together. They just couldn't kick it right there. Us, we couldn't kick it there and we couldn't be together. So it was, it was uh, that no association clause. I couldn't have a no association with anybody that was close to looking like a gang member. Now, the, the point you mentioned about some people can be included, never been FI'd. So that means that there, in some of these injunctions, there are actual people that are not from the gang, they're not from the barrio, but are listed in the injunction. Correct. Do you know if that happened in your case where you're looking through the names and you're like, okay, yeah, he's from the neighborhood, he's from, oh, but this guy's not, but he's named? Correct. Oh, so, so that happened with yours? Yeah, there's maybe 10 or 15 of the guys that are on there, girls and guys, that are not from the barrio. And a lot of things that they used to was, um, when, when they do the civil the civil abatement, they, they submit evidence, right? They got to submit evidence of the gang membership, well, gang crimes. And they have about 10 or 15 crimes on there. And we'll say, okay, there was, on this date, there was a shooting, uh, a gang-related shooting on an occupied motor vehicle. There was three people in the car, uh, unknown if somebody was hit unknown of the car, no license plate, no victims. We can't find the victims. And this happened multiple times on our on our gang injunction where they were saying that something happened, but they had no proof of it happening. So um, that's what they used as evidence, which I don't see how they used as evidence. Yeah, I think over the years, there's been so many criticisms for the gang injunction that eventually 2018, like what, 25 years after the, you know, they were using them in the 80s, they decided that they probably weren't a good tool. They were a little bit harassing. They were a little abusive. Um, but I'm thinking here that your neighborhood is the first barrio to have an injunction. Is there a, can you think of another va uh, that had it prior to 92? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. 
I think they tried to do something in Pomona in like 89, 90, but it, I think it was, it wasn't a, I think it was just an address and um, I can't, I can't think of anyone. So you I know there was one, but was an apartment building. That was it. It was just that apartment building they couldn't be in. That was it. What city was that in? I remember the. I, I remember it, but I can't. I can't remember where it was. I can't remember what city. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a whole article. <clears throat> I have an article that I wrote called "Political Geography of Civil Abatement and Gang Injunction Strategies in Southern California." I wrote this article in the fall of 2002, and I might post this. So check the show notes for this episode. Uh, I'll, I'll post a link to this article I wrote. And if I can find your injunction, is it okay to post uh, the documents to your injunction? It's already public record. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna dig up, I'm gonna dig up Sunny Boy's injunction papers, and I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode so you guys can check that out. So, do you know how long did they impose it for? Did it did it officially end, or did it they just die out? I haven't been in the neighborhood like that in years. I got out in 2000. And yeah, I went back to the neighborhood. And at that time, for instance, one time they drove into the neighborhood and there was about 15 of us and we all broke. We all took off. I jumped in some lady's window and I was hiding and she was like, just stay here until the cops leave. Like they were cool. The neighbors were cool with us. But so in 2000, I thought it was still on. I don't know. I didn't take a chance. I was like, I'm on parole. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I don't know if it ended. I didn't know anything until you told me right now in 2018. Yes, well, that was the city of L.A. But I think a lot of these injunctions just kind of died out without any official announcement that they're ending. They just stopped. I think they got the memo to tell the police stop, you know, enforcing it. Yeah, because we're like, if you go to my neighborhood, we're one, two, three, four, five blocks away now. Small blocks completely infested with the neighborhood versus, you know, the, uh, 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 on Elmwood. So there's, there's the same thing. Nothing's it, changed. That street is the, the roughest street in Burbank. Yes. I'm thinking that one day the city of Burbank is going to say, we're going to buy up all these properties and then we're going to tear them all down. And then we're going to put up like condos or, or, you know, some fancy stuff. Well, that's what they did on Elmwood. That's how they got everybody out of Elmwood was the fact that they bought up the whole block. The owner, one of the owners that owned most of the apartments, he would not sell. They were trying for years. But once he died, his son sold it. But which block was I on when I came to visit? On Elmwood. That was, but Elmwood's Elmwood still, Lake. They still had a bunch of old buildings on that block. Yeah, but they're fixed up compared to the way it used to be. Okay. They're, they're nice compared to the way it used to be. But it still looks like this is the spot where the homies hang out there. Yeah, it still looks like it. <laughs> yeah, it still looks like the hangout spot. Um, hey, and then a couple years after, you mentioned 2000 running from the cops when they pulled up, but a couple years after that, a Burbank police officer was shot and killed. If I remember, his name was Matthew Pavelka. That was, uh, I think, 99, just before I got home. Or I thought it was like 2002. No, I think it was 1999 before. I don't know. I might be wrong. Matthew Pavelka. You, yeah, you I know, know who he is. Now, that was a big deal, uh, but your neighborhood had nothing to do with that. No, we had nothing to do with that. Yeah, but how does a... a, a a Burbank cop gets shot and killed by a gang member that ain't even from Burbank. Well, if you, go, if you go to the city of Burbank, right, they got the freeway that goes right in between the city. Okay. 
If he goes right in between the city, they got the bottom part, and then you got the hills. That's what separates it. Okay. These guys that killed that cop were all on the hill. They were in, in areas that we don't. We, there are other gangs in that area, but we don't go there. Or if we do, you know, it's for gang-banging purposes. But on the bottom of the hill, that's where we are. We're all over that place. So how many different varios are in Burbank? Uh, actually, okay, there was, at one point, say, well, my neighborhood, Parkside, Southside Lake, I want to say about 10, 15. Official? Want to, official gangs. And how many of those had injunctions against them also? None of them. Just yours? Just my neighborhood. That's crazy, huh? Yeah. Why do you think that that was the case? There was a, there was a, I don't know, you might be able to find it in the news. There was a, a, a city town hall, a town, town hall meeting. They caught a, 147 guns in one month in my neighborhood. Versus the other neighborhoods that caught one or two. So, and then majority of the, the, the shootings in gang-related crimes were all either perpetrators from my neighborhood or perpetrator victims. So it was never like just one neighborhood going at it where it was always going at it with everybody. Um, so we were always involved in something. Okay. Uh I want to ask you about this uh, interview you did on Bobby G's channel called Street Pulse Exclusive. Yes, sir. You did an interview on that platform, which turned out to be their most viewed video. Yes. And this is a channel that's uh, been active for the last couple of years. Uh, I guess they started in uh, 2022. They got uh, over 50, 50 videos. But your video is the most viewed video on Street Pulse exclusive. And it was about your relationship with with American Cholo. Yeah. Um, what do you think it was about this interview and this video that uh, went, went viral for Street Pulse exclusive? Well, there was another video prior to that where I had a discussion with uh, Gil. And some certain things were brought up and clarified. So when people seen that, and then the 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 video with uh, Bobby OG Bobby G, it um kind of expanded on everything. So I got more in detail what what was happening back in uh, that day and why I left American Cholo. And and if anybody wants to tap in with that, I will put a link to this interview in the show notes, 104,000 views already. Yes. It was uh, his biggest video, kind of like opened the doors for him. And what do you, uh, just briefly tell me, like what's, I remember when we did the interview, you and I did the interview in Burbank. Yeah. American Cholo pulled up on us. Y'all showed a lot of solidarity, guys from different barrios that didn't get along, standing side by side. Uh, you were on his podcast. Y'all were doing good. Uh, everything seemed great. And then y'all had a falling out. And I guess that's what led to this to this video that you did for Bobby G. What's what's going on with you guys currently? Have you been able to mend that relationship? 
No, it's only progressively got worse. And uh, I'd rather not speak about it because uh, I'm kind of like, I got away from that positivity on my channel. And I don't want to do that. It's about positivity, him, it's a separate thing. So, yeah, you deleted a lot of videos off your channel where you talked about your relationship right. with American Cholo. So you decided, let me just get rid of all this content. It's negative. It's not w the way I want my channel right. to move. Okay. I want people to understand that, you know, and you can be positive and learn from our mistakes and my mistakes and and still come on a positive end. But if I'm over there just being negative, it's just going to just make it worse. You know what I mean? As it is, I don't get along with that dude. I want nothing to do with him. Um, and it, it's probably going to go on prolonged forever. I don't know. Has, it, has anyone tried to mediate between you two guys that, could, that you know, that has sort of a, the respect that can bring you two guys together and kind of, you know, fix whatever was broken? Yeah, there was Paul Morales, which is a... a from uh shout out to paul man for trying it was uh uh what's the name of his channel damn i had a brain fart <laughs> uh no because he kind of took his channel down right now um but he 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 spoke up tried to mediate and what happened was uh american Cholo went telling uh my wife that i was trying to pick up on other girls i remember uh i remember that and now it's there, there's no going back from that. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I hope you guys in the near future or even in the distant future try to figure out a way, you know, where men could be men and, and agree to disagree, but, you know, still maintain some sort of friendship because you guys were, you guys were tight. You guys were real tight to see people that were that tight fall out this hard. You know, it's disappointing. Well, it's, you know, and I know how celebrityism, the fame, the fame gets into people's head, the clout, the clout. <laughs> and that's what happened here where I don't need thousands and thousands of subscribers. I'm cool with what we have. You know what I mean? Him, he's not. And it's just, you know, it just got a little too too much to his head. And I'm the type of dude that if I don't get along with you, Alex, we can be at the same function, and I'm not going to physically attack you. Now, if I see you on the street, and you're walking down the street by completely by yourself, I'll get out the car and confront you. Because I just don't want no publicity. I don't want nothing around it. But I'm not the type of guy that does things in front of people because... Not, and I'm not going to go stab you or shoot you with any any kind of anything. You know what I mean? I just, I'm not that type of individual. All right. My last question on this topic before we move on was, um, now one of your homeboys replaced you on his show. Yes. And that must kind of hit kind of hard because you you have a falling out with this guy and now your homeboy is with the same guy you have a falling out with. We've seen this happen so many times, but it always rubs us the wrong way when my partner is now with the guy that I have a falling out with. You know, what, how did that feel? Well, at one point he was from my neighborhood. He's not from my neighborhood no more. He's not my homeboy no more. Not from my neighborhood. Because of this, this is, yeah. you know, prior to this, all you guys were good. In fact, he was in the interview that we did uh, a few years ago, Boo Boo. Yeah. And um, so that relationship 
got severed as well. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I like all you guys. In fact, I think I'm going to go on American Cholo. He invited me to come to his new studio in the next month or so. And, uh, you know, I just hope that there's some 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 better days in the future. Uh, more power to him. I ain't got no problem with I don't I'm not one of those guys that are going to. Hey, I'm not talking about that shit you getting on with him. I'm, you know, that's kids' crap to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. We're all grown men. We all should be able to coexist. And even if I don't like you, we should all be able to coexist. Yeah, definitely. And and let me spin spin off of this topic because it's somewhat related. I wanted to know what your opinion was on that Tiger video, um, Ay Caramba, because I remember American Cholo made a big deal about it. He was able to get him to take it down. Uh, how did you feel as a Mexican? the imagery and the stereotypes that he had in that video, Tiger. It didn't bug me. The reason it didn't bug me is we do stuff. We got people, our youngsters running around sagging their pants, saying the N-word, taking from your culture. So why are we going to cry about a song that really doesn't matter? I didn't even think the song was good. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. So I really didn't care about it. It's like, okay, you know what? So you, you clowned on us. So what? You know somebody else is going to clown on you? You know, it's just part of it is. That's L.A. This is what we do in L.A. Yeah. That's why there's never going to be a collation between the blacks and the browns. Because what's good for the geese is not good for the gander in the scene. It's just not going to happen. You know, we're going to. And we're not the type. And I'm going to be completely honest. And like I said, people might not like what I said. But one of our biggest gripe as older guys is that the blacks will cry about certain things that we won't cry about. That we're going to keep our mouth shut about it. We might not like it, but we're going to keep our mouth shut about it. And some blacks are more boisterous than others. Not all blacks. Some vo blacks are more boisterous than others. Just like there's some Latinos that are more boisterous on our end. It's the same thing. But from my generation and what I grew up, it was always just keep your mouth shut. Now, what if um, a Mexican rapper did a video where he had black stereotypes in it? You know, let's say fried chicken, uh, watermelon, eating watermelon. Uh, I, I could imagine a whole lot of blacks would be in an uproar. Yeah, there would be a backlash. Yeah. It would be more of a backlash than what would happen with this. But I think Gil felt the same way, you know, but in this time it's the other way around. It's a, it's a black rapper, Tyga, making fun of Mexican stereotypes, you know, the burrito, the taco, the fat dude, the low riding. Um, I could see how some people thought it was offensive. Okay, well, if I felt that way, it would be a different way. Gil feeling that way, it shouldn't be the same way because he's not Mexican. That's true. I was going to ask that. I, I didn't want to keep talking about him, but just in general, um, a, so, a Central American, you know, let's say he's Honduran, but let's just right. let's say it could be a Salvi, someone from Guatemala, Honduras, but they're in the culture. It, to, to some degree, they're accepted by their Mexican peers. Yeah, they're they're accepted. That ain't the point. The point is, okay, Tyga made a video about Mexicans, right? Getting the clown on. Okay. So you let a Mexican deal with it. If he feels offended by it, let a Mexican deal with it. We don't need anybody else from a different community to come into my community 
and try to regulate and tell us how we're supposed to feel. Because I met a lot of people that didn't feel the way he felt. And and like I said, the fame gets to your head, so it's more about clout than it was about what was right and wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's difficult when you're a, a Central American living in, you know, Southern California, dealing with Latino issues, because most of the Latino issues in Southern California are going to be Mexican-based. Mexican yeah, right. right. So so you either need to be embraced by the Mexicans, or like you said, let a Mexican take the, the lead. But um, I don't know if a lot of people made an issue uh, about that, him not really being Mexican. Most people assume he's Mexican, but does it really matter at the end of the day? To me, it does. Okay. And to a lot of other people, it does. But, 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 there but, was an issue with him speaking up for Rasa issues. He has, he has a thing about uh, George Lopez. He had a thing about Duno, saying that Duno wasn't Mexican enough, that George Lopez is not Mexican enough or doing enough for the Mexican people. That's not up for him to decide. He's not Mexican. He doesn't know how we feel. He's Honduran. There's difference. There's different communities. So anybody, a Salvi, Guatemalan, they'll come in and say, oh, well, you know, the, this for the Mexicans. Well, how do you know we're not Mexican enough? You're not Mexican. You don't know how we feel. We have our own. We don't need anybody to step in. And see, that's a big thing with me. It's always been, I don't need another group to come in and speak for us. We can speak for ourselves. If we have an issue with something, Mexicans will speak for themselves. We don't need you, anybody else. And then not just Gil, but just anybody in general that wants to come up and say, well, it's us and let's say the blacks, right? And the Mexicans and the blacks are sticking, you know, a black comes up and says, oh, we're speaking over the Mexican. No, you're not. Because we have our own representatives. We don't need, you know, anybody speaking for us. At least as a well folk, I'm proud of being what I am. I don't need anybody else telling me anything. You know what I mean? And I didn't have an offense with what Tiger did. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, there's a comedian named Carlos Mencia. Yes. His father's Honduran. His mother's Mexican. But everyone assumes he's a Mexican. You know, he does a lot of funny, you know, Latino jokes. Yeah. But he does acknowledge his Honduran side. Correct. He's not 100% Mexican. Does he still kind of get treated as a slight outsider if it came to Mexican issues because your father is Honduran? No, I don't think so. I think if he just just having some kind of Mexican blood in you is is it makes it goes a long way. Because look at the uh, you know let's go back to five hundred years ago. There were none of these borders there. Right. There, you know this was they were all, all indigenous. Yeah, this was all Mayan land. Right. You know, especially the southern part of Mexico, all through Belize, Guatemala. Those there's Mayan temples there yes. right now. They were all one. So that means this was all one nation, and now we got like five borders here and we're talking about division with between different latino groups right but see if you look it down as the mexican right it's usually from mexico they're from mexico that's just a country so we you know we i got family from mexico but if you really look down there we're indigenous yes we are indigenous and we're gonna be all way up north to way down south they got Norteños, they got Sorenos, they got Bulldogs, they got all these different fractions. Yeah. So it's just it's just the point of it. Just don't come in my house and tell me what I can do or what I should do or how I should feel. Because when it comes down to it, let's say 
a, a, a brother has a problem with what we said, right? Stupid Mexican, stupid this, Mexican this, way back there. Boom, boom, they're going to pound on us. My people are the ones that take all that hit. They don't talk about his his culture. They don't talk about anybody else's culture. They automatically go to a Mexican. That's the difference. It's like you're not getting attacked. They're not calling your mother names. They're calling my mother names, my father's names. They're calling my grandparents' names. They're attacking my culture. They're not attacking his. Now, if they knew that it was his culture and they attack him, that's something completely different. Okay. I feel like it's just it's attacking all all Latinos that are from this same region of the world, even though there is a border there that says, if you're born on this side, you're Mexican. If you're born on the other side, you're Honduran, Salvi, Guatemalan, et cetera. So um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really have a problem with seeing Gil represent for La Raza because he did go up to No Jumper with about 50 Raza with him. So they kind of supported him to a certain extent. Would you, would you agree with that? No, I wouldn't. No? No, I, let's just say from the background that I come from, that wasn't right. Okay. You have Adam, 22, a white dude, skinny white dude. You go 50 deep, right? Yeah, whack 100. One black guy. Where's all the numbers? If you're going to go with that kind of energy, then you should have that energy all the time. Not just for one. See, I had a video before before I took him down saying that exact same thing. The only reason it was 50 deep was because it was a white boy. There was no threat. There was nothing to happen. But because whack 100's black, people are going to back him because his peeps are going to back him. I, I, That's I'm, why they're different. I'm sure you didn't agree with um, him popping up on on uh, American Cholo's no, porch. No, no, you know I don't yeah. get along with American Cholo. Yeah, but that was wrong. What he did. What, what would happen if uh, somebody popped up on your porch, man? I mean, n- never mind. Don't even answer that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know. Uh, I, I want to talk more about this black brown thing, man, because it seems like this is a conversation that we've been having in this city for over 20 years. I don't feel like we're any better off in 2023 going into 2024 with cohabitating co-living uh working together in this city in this county in southern california from these two different cultures actually it's more than two because we're not just dealing with mexicans and blacks but we got blacks that are from different that are immigrating from different countries we got latinos that are immigrating from different countries and it just seems like it's getting worse right and let, let me let me tell you this Okay, I'm, I'm Mexican, indigenous, Indian. There is no other race or any other person that's going to make me feel inferior because of the color of my skin. And, and nobody else, a black man, an Oriental, Asian, should be the same way. Okay, but I understand the politics. Things happen in prison and they trickle down into the, into the schools into the high schools. I don't know if you remember, but back there was a lot of racial rights in the 90s that trickled all the way down to high schools and they were having right, racial rights there, okay? So first of all, let's, let, let's be honest. California is a gang-based vicinity. This, this whole area is gang-based. And it's not about color. It's about gang politics. 
this gang don't get along with that gang. And it's going to happen, okay? Because if you if you look at it, you got all these youngsters running around saying the N-word, dressing like they're black, talking like they're black. So obviously it isn't a color thing. It's just a, it's a gang politics thing. That's why there's never going to be any kind of correlation that all these people are talking about. It's going to, it's non-existent. It's not going to happen because one man can't, it, it, not one man can change it. It has to be a group effort for everybody to change it. And that's never going to happen. There's too many people on the black side that are talking negative about Mexicans. And, 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 and a lot of it is not even had anything to do with the Mexicans. A lot of it is different, different nationalities. They just assume we're Mexican. And the Mexican ain't going to do it because, you know, the same reasons. They just, you know, they're just not going to get along. They're just not going to see eye to eye because we're always, always pointing fingers at each other. And that shouldn't be like that. We should be able to get coexist with each other. You know, walk down the street. Hey, what's up, man? Good morning. I've been at, I've been, uh, that was not too long ago. Uh, we went to, went to Burger King and it was raining. I see this black guy. Youngster, sitting there all wet, trying to warm up. I was like, you all right? He goes, yeah, I'm just a little hungry. He didn't look like a bum or nothing. He just looked like, you know, I go, what happened? He goes, oh, my car broke down. Nobody could kill me. I've been here for a while. I went and bought him some food. I didn't do that because of the color of his skin or anything. I did it because the man was hungry. You know, so I'm not going to eat with them. But at the same time, Hey, my hand's there for you. You know what I mean? I, I will help a black man just as quick as I will anybody else. Now, you said that it's 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 too difficult to happen because it, it, one person can't do it. It's going to take a, like a collective. It's going to take a whole thing. But also, it, I think it, it has to come from the prisons on the on the brown side because the politics on the brown side in prison is far more influential on the streets and we saw we saw a good example of how black and brown can get along when the East Coast Crips and the Florencia Treses got along in 2019 after a 20 year and I will say a 20 year bloody war. That wasn't just like a, a casual conflict. That was a conflict that lots of people perished, and because one carnal inside prison decided this is not good, this is not good for me, this is not good for my barrio, this is not good for a, a whole bunch of reasons. He made it happen. So if that one carnal can make that happen on the streets of L.A., imagine if all the carnals agreed with, with right. that. You but know? him, that that person you're speaking of, that was his barrio. Yes, it was. And how big is Florence? Very big. Okay. That's a collective. That's a collective. That's somebody. He had the power to say, hey, do this. They're going to do it. But there were some Florences that weren't, that, that didn't want to do it. There were some youngsters that were trying to go against the grain and they and got I'm handled. Got, yeah. yeah they, got, <laughs> they got handled. And I can tell, I, I was privy to attend some of these meetings and you can see the faces on a bunch of these guys from Florence. They were just mad and, you know, unhappy. And then they, they called in 
uh, they had a, a phone with uh, on FaceTime and, you know, um, and I've said his name before and he said it was okay. He's resting now, uh, but Babo from F13, who just died in June after getting a compassionate release, he's on FaceTime and he's really running the show. And I was thinking to myself, man, if there were more carnals from their sections, from their area to say, hey, this black brown thing got to cease. Like Long Beach right now is bad. The Longos and all the black gangs right down there is going bad. And I, I spoke to Bobo. I ended up getting a cell phone talking to him to say, hey, can we do what we did in East Coast Crip, Florence area? Can can we expand this to other sections? And he said, it's, it's possible, but we have to make sure that the guys from that section agree with it. And that's the hard part to get everybody to agree with it. And I don't understand why is it so difficult to agree I don't know who runs Long Beach. I don't know who's in charge of Long Beach. But why is it so difficult for that guy now to say, hey, no more conflict? I don't know. They they all have different opinions about things, I guess. You know what I mean? Just like anybody else. But like I said, it's going to take a collective. That guy you speak of had that collective. He had the power to say, all of you do it. And if you don't, there's other guys who are going to make you do it. I wish there was a guy that had the power that extended through the whole city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but everyone only has their, the power in their section. And it would, it, 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 look at, let's be honest. When there is, say if I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, at a baseball game or a football game or you know, whatever, and I have a conflict and there's three or four brothers they're gonna rush me, all of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, and a, it goes, it goes both ways. At a baseball know? game? Yeah, or anywhere. I've seen it. I've seen guys get boobop when there's three. But see, like uh, just recently, there was a, a lady, two two Mexican ladies got attacked by uh, multiple black girls, and they know that truck. You know about that, right? With the little loto. Yeah, this was what in like 2020, no. 2021? A couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. And they're laughing about it and think it's funny. And, you know, these poor old ladies are getting beat up. It's like, what are you doing? You know, like, you got to have compassion. You got to, people got to start learning. You treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat people's elders the way you would want them to treat your elders. And I think a lot of people forget that. But I can say for Rasa, we're more based on treating our elders with respect. Now, there was a black guy that attacked a, um, a, a lady at a, at a vending of cart a couple years. This was like 2020, 2021. And he got DP'd by his brothers from right. his neighborhood because they didn't, they said, that wasn't cool what you did. You know, that was completely out of line. And I thought that was a great effort for his homeboys to DP him. And then they made him get on camera and apologize for what he did to the, I think it was the Alota lady. All respects for that. You know, that I was seen it. I know what you're talking about. And it was all respect for that. For those guys that do that DP their people. That meant a lot, at least in my opinion. But then who am I? I don't have that collective. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the future is for these relations. I remember listening to uh, Tariq Nasheed, the brother um, that talks a lot about race. And I, I think he is completely don't believe that anything could ever occur on a positive level in terms of bridging the gap and making the relationship between these two sides, uh, you know, strong. 
I, I would actually have to agree with him. I don't like anything that man says. <laughs> I will be completely honest with you. Um, he's he's got people thinking that they're indigenous, and he's only reading part of what history is uh, about how the blacks came into the the Indian fold, and he pretty much dismissing all the other facts that that's happened. So a lot of it is. Um, I, I think he does it on purpose, but at the same time, I do have to agree with him. I don't see anything changing in, in California anytime soon because it's all gang violence. So we got to cut this loose, and that's why I say I got on my channel because I wanted to be truthful because if we're truthful, then we can get to the problem. And if we're not being truthful and we keep pushing all these stupid narratives and this and that, it's never going to get fixed. Well, uh, I think homeboy Tariq says a lot of controversial things, but there are some times he's on point, and I think that's with everybody. You're not always going to agree with, right. with what they say. But I do believe that we can make some improvements on this black-brown because witnessing the Florences and the East Coasts, and this is a truth that still holds right now. We're, it's been four years, and they have no no shootings, no homicides. And what's crazy is the, the people that have were involved in the truth to make it happen on the East Coast Crypt, this guy's in prison now. And on the um, on the Florence side, Bobo, he's deceased. But they still figured out a way for this truce to continue. To continue. And that's that's impressive. I you know what I mean? More power to him. I'm glad it's you know what I mean. But doesn't that isn't that a sign that, that it can happen? We just need more people on the page on the same page. And what's, it was really interesting, and we don't really talk about this, one of the motivations behind it is that it's bad for business. If you if your vitals out there, you know, slanging and banging, the last thing you wanna be doing is getting into shootouts with the brothers, right? Your, your priority right now is to sell this sack, to make this money and to, to either help your family out or give the money whoever it's owed to. And you can't be doing that when you're in shootouts every other week, every, uh, you know, a couple times a month, that cannot be accomplished. Right. No, no I understand So even that from aspect. the economic side, right, from the business side, from the economic side, even though we're talking about the underground economy, it doesn't make sense to, to continue to have these conflicts. Yeah. No, no, I, I completely agree. It, it, I'm, all the way around, it's a good thing for, for our gente and for the blacks, you know what I mean, the brothers. Because I've gone to South Central when I was working on a truck, and I went down the wrong street. And they got the windows broken out. You know, there's certain streets you can't go down. You know what I mean? Hey, it's the same thing. Hey, what about the... It goes uh, both ways. What about the lady that decided, I'm going to move into um, Ramona Gardens, and she got her whole place firebombed? That's fire a whole bomb. different thing. What do you mean? We had to talk about that after. Okay. Well, and you know... There's a whole... There was a... A black what, lady what moved to Ramona Gardens. Yes. And Ramona Gardens used to have a lot of black people, like 50, like in the in the 50s and, and the 40s, or uh, late 40s, early 50s, there were blacks there. But then... Mexicans took it all over, and one black lady, I don't know how she ended up moving in there, I think it was Section 8, and they firebombed her. Yeah, no, no, I know. I know all about that. Um, right, Like right now, where we live, there is two black families that moved in. Nobody bugs them. It's the fact that when you're bringing others to that area, then it starts becoming a problem because, again, the gangs get involved. The gangs from that area don't want them all coming into our area because then they start 
kicking it, posting up, thinking it's their area. What about when? Um, and that's with any gang. There was there were some blacks that moved into the avenues areas. This is late nineties. We're talking about twenty something years ago. These black dudes weren't even in the gang. They just lived there. I think it was three brothers over the course of a year all got gunned down. They weren't from no gang. They, I, I, I heard you know, about so that. So that's, I mean, we got so many examples. We can go back and forth yeah. on this all day long. Uh, it's got to come to an end. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, you know, the avenue thing, I don't know what locked up. Well, all I, was, I know is. I will say this. On one of the avenues things, uh, one of the brothers thought he was going to sell weed. I mean, he was just selling like dime bags of weed. Of course, you're not supposed to sell anything. Uh, but it's, it, you shouldn't get a death sentence because you decided to sell a little bit of weed, you know, in, in the neighborhood. But we all know you don't sell where you don't live or where you don't have, you know, that's not your area. So uh, on that one example, uh, I, I, I don't want to say <laughs> I don't want to say I, I get it. I understand it. But uh, that was, it's, just, it's just unfortunate that this type of conflict is, is existing and we talk, that's the nineties and here we are in 2023 and nothing's gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? I'll tell you right now from when I was younger to now, I think it's more racial now than it's ever been. Cause when I was a youngster, I got called a spick by the whites in Burbank. By the whites yeah. in Burbank. I remember if you tell me that story, I told you that story. So I've, I can say in my life, I've probably been, discriminated five times in my life. I'm not the type of person that thinks, oh, because that dude got at me, it's racial. Or he says something to me, it's racial. I look at it like, okay, I got tattoos. Look at the way I look. Even I wouldn't want me around my kids or, or certain areas thinking his dude's up to no good. But I can understand that. But I don't think everything's racial either. And that's the problem with everybody takes it right away that it's racial. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. No, it's not. It's not always based on race. A lot of it has a lot of things to do with things that somebody else doesn't know about. Yeah, that does happen a lot. But uh, I know specifically, like in the Torrance area, uh, they were the, the Mexicans were attacking blacks down there, um, and these aren't these aren't black gang members. When you see blacks that are not gang members now being targeted, then you know this must be race. Now, if it's a gang thing, like in Long Beach, there's a there's a possibility that the black brown conflict in Long Beach is all gang. Yeah, it might not have anything to do with race, but of course, r you can't ignore race is coming into yeah, it. Race now. is coming into it. But in some areas, it's just tell me why they firebombed that black lady in in, um, in the in the projects over there. She wasn't in no gang, you know. So oh, you don't know that. I think no, I mess with. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and you know what's interesting? Huh. There's been a lot of uh, indictments by the feds for, and in fact, in that in that case that I just mentioned, they indicted because it's on camera too. They had camera. They indicted like three or four Mexican dudes on that, and they indicted the guys down in 204th Street. And if you notice, all the indictments are of Latinos getting indicted. Yeah, it's not the No blacks, blacks have been indicted for any hate crime. That, that's that's not right. That, well, you know that's not right. Well, I, I would say you have to show me an example of where a black attacked a non-Mexican, a Mexican that's not, not affiliated with the streets. Like a straight up, well, I guess when you see the Elota woman and things like that, yeah. Um, fortunately, no one's been killed in those. But um, you know what? Those might be those. Those are racially motivated, and they need and they need to understand that. Okay, a lot. What people don't understand is when you get but when you do something like that and you say a racial slur, it automatically goes into 
an indictment. But those attacks okay. of the vendors that those are those are individual black dudes. It's right. not it's not the gang. Right. The individuals. But I've seen blacks attack whites and other nationalities and say racial terms, but they don't still don't get indicted. And that's not fair. Which, like I said, it if if it's what the thing about this okay, if people want everything to be equal, then everything needs to be equal. Uh Gay pride. And I, I'm not trying to get into that because I don't want to cause you problems. <laughs> but let's say they have a gay pride parade. Yeah. Where do they have a straight parade? If you want to be equal, then maybe you should be equal. I mean, the straights could start a parade if they want, but I don't I know. You know, you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's just if you're going to be equal, be equal. If, if it's good for you and it's good for me. I don't think it's equal it's because, because we're talking about a minority compared to a majority. So in this, in your example, the gay pride, the LBGT, they're a minority where the heterosexuals are the majority. So the majority is not going to go out there and say, let's celebrate and have a parade because they, it's just so common. Well, let me use an example. We went to Cesar Chavez movie. Uh, we were invited by a corporation. Okay. This corporation was pushing equality. Okay. We want everybody to be seeing everybody. This is a civil rights movie. This is, you know, beneficial for everybody to see. The paper says, uh, whoever gets there first gets in, right? We were actually in the area and it was a little ways from our home. So we stayed there and we ate and went shopping and did all that good stuff and got there in time. At their way in time, we sat down and we we're just relaxing, eating our food. And, okay, then when it comes time to receive for the movie, right? It's me and my wife and my kids. Here comes a bus. Oh, you guys are gay. You guys go first. Oh, you guys are bisexual. You go next. Went through the line, huge ass line. You, you, oh, you guys are a couple. Come on, come on. Heterosexuals are the last ones in. Well, how are they identifying who's what, you know? Despite they knew, like, I'm with my wife. They were like, okay, man and woman, guys, a couple or whatever, you know, just all the heterosexuals last. And I actually wrote a letter to the the, the, the CEO or whatever there, the president of the company, and I told them, you, you praise being equal but you discriminated against heterosexuals in this and i guess apparently the lady got chewed out over it because it was a clear case like you know oh why well, you're not gay you know what i mean and then it just like really messed me up i was kind of like dude that's just wrong like i never thought i was going to get press for being a heterosexual but it's just you know everybody gets in their little groups and they want to start pushing fingers and 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 making theirs first instead of just being equal hey you know what you were first in line go you know what i mean that's that's just me yeah uh, i don't think there's ever going to be like true equality you know? no i don't think so that's why i don't think there's ever going to be uh a crew uh, uh, a true truce between us well, you the know, blacks and the the, the Hispanics. In, in the '60s here in LA, the uh, the Brown Berets and the Black Panthers they were doing their civil rights thing, and they was on the same page. You know, this was like what 55 years ago, in the late mid to late '60s. 
um, it, it would be great if we can get to that again. Yeah, it would. But we don't got. We need something that's going to be that we both need to to address. That it's equally. How do you say equally? Um, beneficial to both of us our groups well i think it's it's the prison politics is is the main influence here and and hopefully uh, those guys behind the walls are listening to streets and scholars and would be inspired and motivated to to do some of the good work that that babo left behind so um be, hey i wanted to before we wrap up i wanted you to tap in with your your acting what's going on there i know you've been going on you know doing a little bit of work here and there let's talk about that briefly i actually wrote a script uh we were in the process of trying to sell it we had uh two individuals that wanted to buy it the strike hit everything did uh i actually picked up a part well, maybe one of the main characters in a park would be with my uh, second speaking role. And um, that's on hold because of the strike. I just recently got picked up for two to two other movies. And we're, uh, I guess we're supposed to start filming on Sunday for one of them. So been, I'm, I'm progressing. There's a lot of work out there for La Raza in, in, in Hollywood in the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, know? and that's, that's uh, it's opening up for us. Yeah, um, I remember... Uh, back in the day, watching uh, Colors, there was this guy that was always the Latino gangster, uh, Trinidad Silva. Uh, he he's uh, he 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 died in like in the eighties, yeah, oh, but he was Frog, Frog in, yeah. in Colors. Uh, and then of course uh, Emilio Rivera, he, you know this guy is highly successful. Whenever they need that that Latino gangster look. Uh, oh yeah, he looked like it. he's always looked like a gangster. Well, he you know he grew up in Frogtown. And well, it, I, I knew him as a kid. Okay, and his brother was like a very active Frogtown, I believe. Yeah, well, anybody from his generation. <laughs> it was pretty wild back then. Yeah, and then, of course, um, there was there was quite a few Latinos that had some memorable parts in the movie Training Day, which was like 20, that was 2001, so that was like 22 years ago. I think that was, uh, was Noel G. Yeah, Noel G. Yeah, so uh, there's been, there's been I, I'm sure there's complaints that there should be more, more roles and, and more work because... Hey, I, I go to the Dodgers games. If it wasn't for the Mexican population, the Dodgers wouldn't have any fans. <laughs> have you, when was the last time you've been to a Dodgers game? It's been a while. <laughs> Man, they they are team, team Dodgers all the way. There's, there's got to be at least 70% of that stadium. I'm not exaggerating. I believe wow. I believe 70%, maybe 60 to 70% is Mexicans. You know, so you, we, we there's this huge base here in California but I'm sure there's complaints that TV doesn't represent it as much. Yeah. TV's in the movie. But you know who's got it bad is the Asians. The Asians are barely represented, you know, in Hollywood and on TV. I've just been watching this show on Netflix. It's all Asian. It's all Koreans. I forget the name of it, but uh, I've been watching it because I like to support. I love watching. When I was a kid, everything was white on TV. So I would change the channel. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, there's Jefferson's. I'm watching this. Everybody watches Jefferson. Hey, anything that wasn't white, I, I just would watch it, you know. So I'm now I'm, I'm checking out this Korean show. I ain't never seen a show that was all Korean, all Asian, and it's on Netflix now. I'm sure uh, somebody will send me a message and uh, let me know what the name of that show is. But um, so what we what what's going to happen now that the strike? Hopefully, the strike is going to be over soon. What do you got planned in terms of acting and in this in this entertainment business? Well. 
I got my medical issues to deal with, which is the chemo. Uh, I'm going to try to fight through it. Right now, I'm going to school still. I'm still going to continue to go to school as long as I can. Um, and, and if acting comes up, I'm going to give it my all and, and continue to try to uh, get better and better. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I'm going to just give it my all. That's, it. That's all I can do. If anything's positive in my life, I'm pushing all the way with it. All right, man. Uh, tell tell all the people that are listening right now, where can they tap in with you? Where can they find you if they want to communicate with you? Let them know everything. I am on sunnyboy underscore Acosta, A-C-O-S-T-A, at Instagram. I am uh, on Street Saint Loyal Show. Uh, my that's e- on YouTube. Yeah, that's on YouTube. And um, I have my email up there in case you want to get a hold of me. I can... I'll, I'll respond. I always do. It might take me a little while, but I always respond. Okay, and um, I'm at Alex Alonso101 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm also at Street TV on YouTube. And uh, we'll be dropping some of these clips with Sunny Boy in the next few days. And I want to thank everyone for tapping in with another fire episode of Streets of Scotland.